I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. What a save from Mark Howard. Please welcome Spencer Owen. Hello, boys. How you doing? The Wembley Cup is a little bit like Soccer Aid, uh, but for YouTube. We called it hashtag because we all worked in social media. It was as simple as that. Steven Gerrard played in it. You know, Patrick Cloyver, JJ Kocha. Kind of a dream. Too good to pass up. And that was when we entered non-league. Kind of back-to-back promotions. We couldn't have done it quicker. See literally 10 football pitches with yellow and blue shirts on all with a hashtag badge on. That's another great story. She was the club captain when we took over. Played with like Rhea Ferdinand, Mark Noble. Been nutmegged by JJ Kocha. It was an absolute honour. I could be a world-class goalkeeper. <laughs> so I'm a big Rob McElhenney fan, uh, and Ryan Reynolds as well. So as Pilaqueta, uh, it owns 4% of Hashtag. I always say we've reverse-engineered a club. It's better for people not to like us than not have an opinion about us, because it means that we're doing something right. What a shame from Mark Howard. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Yours, Mine Away podcast with me, Mark Howard, and my mate, producer Ben. Today, I've got an unbelievable guest with a great story, uh, one that I'm so fascinated in. Please welcome Spencer Owen. Hello, boys. How you doing? All right? For those that don't know that all that live under a rock, Spencer owns and is co-chairman of Hashtag United, one of the biggest trending companies in probably, probably in, like, obviously in football, but around the world now, your, your, your marketing, everything is just flying, isn't it, really? Yeah, I mean, it's been a crazy nearly seven years. Uh, it'll be seven years in about a month, actually, since we started it. And uh, it, we're, we're, I mean, we're, we've got a lot going on. We've got a lot going on now from when we started. It's, it's, been, a, it's been a great journey. And, and we're having a good season across the board as well. So we're hoping this is going to be a big, big year for us. So obviously you've started Hashtag From Scratch. It's a brand new club that everyone that on the online space would know about. And a lot of the, the younger audience would know, but the older audience maybe still don't. How, how did it all come about? Cool. How long you got? So, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I was a YouTuber. I still am a YouTuber. I was making videos for a long time. This is my 16th year making YouTube videos now, right? So it's been a while. But um, what was it? 2016, we'd just done a big uh, charity game called the Wembley Cup. So Wembley Cup is a little bit like Soccer Aid, uh, but for YouTubers, which sounds like 
a no-brainer now, right? But but back in 2015 when we did the first one, it was a we had to really sort of pitch it to the, why would you even do this? Why would YouTube? Why would anyone watch YouTubers play a football game, right? So it's my concept. I come up with it, um, and I've got all the big YouTubers to play in it. The first year was Spencer FC was my team, and we played the Sidemen, right? So that, so we had, we made and um, you guys obviously know the Sidemen now, but again the Sidemen were probably only a year or two old then. But obviously JJ, all these guys were, were flying. Um, and we were all the biggest sort of YouTubers playing in it. You know, the F2 boys played in it. Um, I mean, the funny thing is, if you took the subscriber numbers of everyone then, compared them to what those same people have now, it'd be great because they're just e exponential growth over the last, what, seven, eight years. So I pitched it to brands to try and sponsor it because that was I'd been working in, in um, YouTube and stuff for a while, like even outside of my channel. I'd worked for other channels like Copper 90 and things like this. So I understood a little bit about how it worked and no one was really doing that sort of thing at that time. I was a bit older than the other, the other lads. So um, got EE to sponsor it and they were the sponsors of Wembley Stadium, still are. So they were like, I wasn't even pitching their game at Wembley. I was trying to get everyone to go to Vegas and we were going <laughs> to play in like a, uh, um, a tournament out there and basically have fun and make content out of it. And they were like, why don't you do it at Wembley? I, was, I didn't know that was an option. Let's do it. So Wembley Cup was born. Tw first year we did that. Behind closed doors, we didn't have fans. We didn't know if we'd get anyone to come. But it got 18 million views, the game on YouTube, right? And that's just the game. We did a whole YouTube series promoting it. So I was like, okay, because I was making mostly FIFA content at this point, like gaming stuff. But I was like, right, well, football's always been my, my, my passion. How can I do this more regularly? Can't do Wembley Cup every weekend because they, everyone's busy, right? And, and it would lose its appeal if it was a weekly thing. It's a one-off thing. So I need, what's the next series I can do? And I obviously played football. I had my mates, we played football together. So we just started filming us playing games. Um, we gave it the name hashtag because that was actually an existing name we had for our seven-a-side team, like actual team we played in London. You know, you get like your joke names, you know, like in seven-a-side leagues. We called it hashtag because we all worked in social media. It's as simple as that. But what, what I wanted to do is make sure the team, because one thing I will say is like there's a lot of stuff that's happened along the way, which has been just good timing, right place, right time. But when we formed Hashtag, it was always with a view for it to be a business that ultimately could employ me and my brother when, if and when YouTube went even away. Even when you started, it was that from, was... The, from before we even played a game, we were like, right, this needs to become something that we can grow bigger than me as a YouTube channel or whatever. And this is, you got to remember 2015 as well. No one knew how long YouTube stuff was going to last. It's not like now where everyone's like, yeah, oh, everyone wants to be a YouTuber. This was still something you can only just start earning money some, from. Some vision to have then. To... Yeah, well, it, was, it wasn't like... We didn't know exactly what that would look like, but we were like, you know, a lot of people had started to make businesses or, or we could see a world where you could just fade away as a YouTuber if you didn't do something like that. So we were like, okay, let's find something we're passionate about that we would happily work for as a business if we couldn't make content anymore or if, if you know, no, no one wanted to watch me do what I was doing, I'll make a story around something bigger, which is why we didn't call it Spencer FC or whatever, which is my YouTube channel name. We wanted to give it its own name. Um, so yeah, that was 2016. Started off just... And then the Wembley Cup got bigger and bigger simultaneously as well. We had 34,000 people at Wembley for the second one. That's incredible. Uh, we had like, you know, Steven Gerrard played in it, you know, Patrick Cloyver, JJ Kocha, uh, loads of other people. Um, but Hashtag had been born as well. And it was originally just literally me and my brother and our mates. There was no one in there you'd have heard of, like apart from myself, if, if you followed my YouTube channel. Uh, the best footballer in the team was probably someone, one of my brother's mates who, who maybe could play like, you know, uh, 10th or 9th tier, you know, like semi-pro, like n not even the level we're at now. And then there's a lot of people that didn't even get in their school teams, like oh. and they weren't good footballers, but we were just mates. And it wasn't supposed to be elite, it was supposed to be fun. Second game we ever played was at Wembley, <laughs> as hashtag. 
Within a few months, we went to America on a, on a tour, uh, played four games, two in Atlanta, two in New York. We signed the first kit deal with a YouTube team with Umbro, uh, bespoke shirts you know, that we designed with Umbro. Uh, and it all just, all these firsts happened. Then we started signing a few YouTubers. You've had Theo Baker on here. He was our first marquee signing, who's a decent player. Again, semi-pro standard player, but also had a YouTube following. So we were like, this is perfect for us. Got it's him in. Older. Yeah, he does. And he, it was great. And then we got a lad called Charlie Morley in as well. And it all sort of snowballed. We did it for two years. Then I was trying to look ahead again. And I was like, right, we're all getting a bit older. I was approaching 30. My brother's mates were approaching mid-30s. A lot of them were having kids. We were playing maybe two games a month, no training or anything. So it was sustainable in that setup. Uh, even with lads, some of the lads were living in like Northampton, coming from all over the shop. Like it wasn't necessarily local. But I was like, no one's going to want to watch us do this forever yeah, when we were mid-30s and we are like getting slower and we're not winning as much. And <laughs> we were like a decent side for the games we played. You know what I mean? For the, for the opponents we went up against. Um, so this is the hard bit I'd say is like we, we had to almost like choose to stop something that was working if you know what I mean like I took the channel I took all the content off my channel and I wanted to create a new channel from scratch because I felt that as long as it's on this channel called Spencer FC it's going to be look as a Spencer thing whereas I wanted it to be a football club and a brand in its own right so we started the day we did that we, were, we went from having games that were getting millions of views per game to three, four, five hundred thousand views which is still amazing but we chose to make that drop because of the bigger picture yep um, and then we were like, well, we're, we're, if this club, if we want this club to be around for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, forever, what is it? it? It's great what we've done so far, this sort of exhibition game thing, but it's not a thing that goes forever. So we managed to get into the pyramid, the non-league pyramid. Uh, very, again, this is probably the best example of good timing, right place, right time. There was a restructure happening in the area I live in, which is Essex, where they didn't have a step six league. They just didn't have one. It went from step seven to step five. So they were making one. So, and we had the conversation with the right people. And it basically meant we could go into that league without taking anyone's spot because that's already going to be negative publicity if you, if you take someone else's spot that could have had it. You know, you relegate a team in order to put you in a league, right? So we, we had an opportunity to beat that, that issue. Um, and we could go in as ourselves. We didn't have to take over another club. So it was kind of a dream, too good to pass up. And that was when we entered non-league. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, that was 2018. And then we um, won our first season, men's, men's season, even though we didn't win uh, any of our first that, four games. all of you and your mates still playing? It started off like that. Well, not all. I didn't make that transition. I, I'm, I'm aware enough of my limitations. And I, <laughs> I want to win too much to risk losing if it means I play. Do you know what I mean? I'd rather just win. So uh, I'd always been the manager of the team up to that point as well. So we got a manager in. And this is one of the big like misnomers with us, hashtag as well, is, like people don't realize how much I was brought up in non-league. Like my dad's been a physio at non-league level all my life. So I've been like in a, in dugouts and changing rooms and stuff all, all my life, like as a, as a kid. So this wasn't a case of some YouTubers coming into non-league. Yeah, we got a funny name in that, but we, we went and got a ma the assistant manager from East Thurrock, who was East, assistant manager in National League South at the time. My dad knew very well. I knew very well on a personal basis. He dropped four divisions to become our manager, brought coaching staff with him, brought players with him, you know, we, overnight we were a, a club of people that actually had quite a lot of non-league experience um and yeah so I stepped away from being the manager I also stepped away from being a player um well, I carried on playing but we had like a Sunday team and stuff and I just what, what age were you then as well I was uh 29 that's incredible at that point, to, yeah that you've got that vision and you, you knew at that point how to take it further yeah I mean Listen, it's, the thing about, again, another common misconception of Hashtag is because we've had good sponsors and stuff, they thought that the reason we'd succeeded quite quickly was like money, but it actually really wasn't. Like genuinely on my mother's life, right? We came in 
with zero budget. And that was that was a choice. I could we we had money. I'm not I've never said we haven't had money. We've had great sponsors from day one, but we were saving it for a football ground. We still do. So like we won September with a budget of zero. Not a single player got a pound in expenses that year. Okay. Wait, were you not still working in when did you give up the social media gig? I'm up. Uh that was that was years before yeah, that was 2013, 2014. So I'd I'd already been sort of a full time YouTuber for a few years. Um but yeah, we we uh, yeah we we were able to attract players. That's one thing we definitely had in our in our corner. People would probably play for us in that level. They maybe wouldn't have played for another team in that level because of the exposure. Uh, but no one got a penny in expenses that year. And there were teams that that were going against us in the league that had a bigger budget. So we outperformed, you know, on paper. No one would give us credit for it. But I'm not asking for it. But that reality is, we didn't make it easy for ourselves. Uh, we didn't win any of our first four games because we used all the boys from the original right, hashtag okay, team. Yeah that wanted to make the transition. We said, yeah, you can, if you're good enough, like we'll keep you in. And obviously some of them weren't and some of them couldn't commit to the travel and it just sort of naturally evolved. And then we got quite decent, but we still played. I mean, we had a guy called Jacko, who's a goalkeeper, he's a soccer AM goalkeeper and stuff for a long time. He'd played semi-pro. He'd retired at like 39, 40 from a 20 year career in, in non-league. Come and played for us. We got him to go back into it. No he carried on playing until he was 43. He came back from a from a, uh, a leg break. He did it at 41. He came back from that um, and played for us for three seasons in non-league. You know, we've had other players that have made... So there's three or four boys that made the transition from the very first YouTube games all the way through, up divisions as well as we got promoted. But um, we obviously had to bring new people in as well. And yeah, we won our first league. Second and third season were both COVID years but they got amalgamated and we got promoted as a result of them points per game because we were the best team statistically in those two years. So we kind of back-to-back promotions. We couldn't have done it quicker. And then we had our first season at the eighth tier, um, step four of non-league last year. We finished eighth. Again, carried a lot of the boys through that had played in that first season. Didn't just constantly get new yeah. players in. Because when you're telling a story on YouTube, you've got to... You can't just go, as well, yeah, There's 15 yeah. new lads. You know, who are they? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So we actually started pretty poorly again in the league, slowly improved, ended up just missing out in the playoffs. And now this year we're very much going for promotion. We've since added a women's team who are the best in the county in the fourth tier, top of the fourth tier of women's football right now. Um, and a youth team, 50 club, 50 teams, 600 players. And it's crazy now. You go to the, our site in Essex on the Sunday and you see literally 10 football pitches with yellow and blue shirts on all with a hashtag badge on, kids from five to 18. And you're like... How the hell has this happened for me and my mates? <laughs> it's incredible growth, yeah. obviously, to say that. And then obviously you've got all inclusive teams as well. I've seen obviously you're walking football. Yeah, you, you, you're opening that market to everybody now. Uh, obviously, being such a new club and building a reputation to to have established yourself in all of those fields, it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I think I've got to t- give a lot of credit for the women's side and the and the youth side. They were existing clubs that we merged with, so it wasn't they weren't started from scratch. Um, that was more a case of a mutually beneficial situation. So, good example: the youth team we merged with was a team called Forest Glade. I'd played against them as a kid. They're very well known in the area. Thirty years they've been going, but because they weren't affiliated to a team in the in the men's national league setup, they couldn't play in the better leagues in our area. It's called the EJA leagues. Um, so that meant they'd lose their best players. They'd lose their best players to local EJA teams. And uh, so we had something they needed, which was an opportunity to keep hold of better players. We had something, they had something that we needed, which was a, an overnight youth setup, which not is just great to have that, but also it builds the family of the club out there, come to games. We give them all season tickets for free to come to the, the senior games and stuff. So it created a, a family thing overnight. And to the point where Derek Pearson, who formed that that youth team, Forest Glade, 30 years ago, he's now the co-chairman of the entire club with me. Wow. 
So he's, you know, we do it together. Um, so yeah, and the women the same. The women had been going really well for a number of years. They'd got up to the third tier, um, uh, which is the tier below the championship. Their chairman stepped away and they were actually going to go bankrupt. They had the guys who are still at the club now running it, putting their own money in. The women were all paying to play, which is unfortunately quite common at that level still. Yeah. Um, so I literally just did a tweet. I'd watched the 20, uh, what must be the 2019 Women's World Cup and I was a bit inspired by it and I could see the growth and I just did a tweet and said, look, I want us to get into women's football. Is there anyone that needs help in the local area? Because I'll always look at it as like, if we're going to do something, let's solve a problem that exists rather than just start a new team. There's probably people that need help. Let's help them do better what they're already doing and help ourselves in the, in the same breath. And then like loads of tweets back, but they, these guys were literally down the road, best team in the county still, even though they'd had a really tough year at the third tier and got relegated because the chairman pulled the money away. And um, they were like, yeah, we had, had a meet with them and it was just a no brainer. And then that's unbelievable. We had first team, two years in a row, the first team in the National League to hit 50 goals. We actually hit 60 this weekend. We've hit, uh, we just won 16 nil on the I weekend. Saw that, yeah. They've hit double figures five times this season. Uh, they're beating a full-time Ipswich team who was top of the third tier. Uh, they beat, we beat them in the, in the League Cup. Uh, we're obviously not full-time. And uh, we're now in the FA Cup, fourth round against Coventry, who are the bottom of the championship. We're top of the fourth tier. We've got a chance in that game. It's basically top of League Two playing bottom of the championship in terms of level. And you, if you're a top of League Two playing a team in the bottom of the championship who hadn't won a game, you'd fancy yourself, Of course, you? especially in a cup game. Yeah, exactly. A one-off game that anything can happen. And if we win that, we could play a women's Super League team. We could play an Arsenal, a City, a Chelsea. Well, I see uh, the women are starting to build a bit of a presence on the YouTube yeah. uh, as well. Is it yeah, with yeah. Alex? Or... Yeah, Alex Bayliss. That's another great story. She was the club captain when we took over. She literally, that summer, had a uh, one of the heart screenings and was told she had to retire. because And her cousin, well, her cousin has sadly died playing football. So her whole family did the screening and she was told you can't play football again. So literally she was she coming as club captain, all this exciting stuff happened around the club and was told, no, you can never play. But we were like, how can we keep you involved? And so she's become like the vlogger of the women's team. And she's now got her own audience in women's football in general, not just hashtag. She goes to all the big Euros games. She does stuff with the England team. So that's a really good example of how I think hashtag can offer other routes. You know, we've hired people that used to play for us that maybe didn't make the step up or actually were more valuable to us in another way because their skill set as editors or cameramen. So I think like three different employees that, that work for Hashtag have played for Hashtag first and then we've hired them. You know, so we've, we always, it's more than just playing on the pitch if we can keep people about. It's very rewarding from my perspective. Right, normally we have generic goalie chat, right? But I want to actually obviously talk about your footballing career in general. Um, I don't know if you use the word career. Well, <laughs> from, from your, uh, we have a lot of a, a younger audience as well. So like, your first introduction to football, uh, obviously, like you've talked about your brother and stuff like that, but was it because of your brother playing football that you was like, I want to get into it? And you know what? It was actually the opposite. I actually, it always surprises people. I didn't actually start playing football until I was 13, so quite late, which I, which I use as an excuse as to why I'm not better. <laughs> um, I think what actually happened, I'm a middle child, and I think my brother, who's better football than me and played at a decent level, uh, I was rebelling against that. So he was like, he's a football lad, so I'm not going to be football. So I didn't actually start playing football. It actually was games, uh, computer games that got me into it. It was sitting and playing FIFA and football manager or championship manager with my brother, Seb. They made me go, oh, I have to try and play this. It looks quite fun. And I just become an addict like overnight um, from 13 onwards. So my first team, it's all local teams to me that aren't particularly well known, but um, a team called Brentwood Boys and then Hartswood Stars. And then we moved and I went and played for Haybridge. So Haybridge Swifts, have you heard of them? So they're in the you, same you level would. that, yeah, yeah. yeah, the same level that our men's team are now. So I ended up playing for their youth team, 
for a couple of years. And then at 16, um, you know, a lot of teams disbanded at 16. And we, so we fought, actually formed our own team, me and my dad, um, and got all my... Look, basically, it's basically hashtag, not called hashtags. All the boys that ended up playing for hashtag 10 years later were in that team. And we did that for two years. Uh, won a couple of cups. We had an all right side. And then I went to uni, played at uni at Reading. Uh, played in the third 11 again, so it gives you an idea. Like, you know, not first 11 player. Uh, we had five eleven, so I was somewhere in the middle. What position are you as well? Uh, in those days, I was playing fullback. I was a centre-half growing up because I was quite tall for my age, and then everyone else caught up. So then I moved to fullback, did a little bit in centre-mid. I'm like, because I always say my brother's better than me as well. I'm basically the Phil Neville to his Gary Neville. <laughs> he, 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 he's a bit better at football, but I'm more versatile. <laughs> <laughs> Typical middle child yeah. as well. But everyone undersells you as a middle child. They just expect you to crack on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, just, I was the guy that would play in any position because I, I wanted to play. And I was never the best player in the team. So great work rate. Great. Uh, I was always very fit because I had to be because I would work so hard to have any advantage because I was catching everyone up on the actual technical side of the game. Um, and yeah, ended up. And then when Hashtag started, I'd been a left back for a while, a right footed left back. Um, you are Phil Neville. Just literally squeezing in anywhere <laughs> they'd have me. Uh, and then, yeah, and then nowadays I've, I've actually started playing vets football now. Um, and I love that because it's like fastest player on the pitch for the first time ever. <laughs> and I get to run around loads. But yeah, I mean, the highlights of my football career, if you can call it that, are all YouTube related, you know. Five times I played at Wembley. It's incredible. That's um, more than me. Yeah, it's bonkers, isn't it? It's bonkers. Three of them in front of decent crowds, 20,000 or more. I played in one of the final ever, I played twice at West Ham, Old Ground including one of the final games ever played there in um, the England-Germany 50-year, uh, whatever it was, 60-year World Cup reunion match. I played with like Rio Ferdinand, Mark Noble. Like I played in that team on that pitch in front of 20,000 people. Imagine that as a West Ham fan, um, you know, against quite big German names as well. Like I, did, I did a slide tackle on Oliver Neuville. <laughs> um, uh, and Wembley, yeah, I've, I've been nutmegged by JJ Okocha. It's an absolute honour. Um, <laughs> that, that, that would be like something that you, oh, I'd tell my kids that exactly no, I, the best bit about that is I thought I tackled him I, I thought I tackled him the crowd cheered and I was like yes and I looked down the ball's not there and I realised he's running away with the ball and I was like oh, wow. damn <laughs> I had Optostats did one of the Wembley Cups they did all the stats of the game and I had one successful tackle in the game and it was on Stevie G <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that yeah. so these are all things I'm really holding on to um, yeah, loads of little, and then I've been, a, I've literally, the stadiums I've got to play at is a joke. Like I've played in a lot of the sidemen games. I've played at Southampton, for example, I've played at uh, Anfield. I've played at the Emirates twice. I've played um, the day after the Champions League final on the uh, Atletico Madrid stadium. Like, and the, when you get to play the day after as well, the pitch is like top, top notch as it can be. Um, like the first Wembley Cup was the day after the FA Cup final. So the pitch was a joke. The Champions League, the day after, it was a joke. I've done stuff like that. And it's just, it never gets, I've got to tell you, it never gets old. Like, as you, you'll know this, but like there were some, there are some people in this space, I'd never name names, but you know, they sort of make content and they look at it more of a business angle. And you'll say to them like, oh, got an opportunity to play at Wembley. And they'll be like, how much am I getting paid? And you'll be like, that's incredible. I, I will That's pay you still now after playing five times, I would pay a lot of money to play at Wembley a sixth time. Do you well, know what I mean? I've been a professional footballer for 18 years. And some of those pitches that you've said that you've played on, obviously Wembley and that, but Atletico Madrid, after, yeah. I've not done any of that. No, I know. And like, I'm sat here in awe going, wow. Oh, I'm very, we're very fortunate and we're very aware of that as well. Like, you know, the first year of non-league, we ended up playing a, uh, an exhibition match at Old Trafford at the end of the season. And we're taking lads. At this point, we had non-league players for the first time. We've got lads who've been journeymen in non-league. We've won things at like step, you know, the eighth or ninth or seventh tier, but never got anywhere near somewhere like Old Trafford, right? And you know what was amazing was 
it was really interesting for me that moment because we had lads still in the team who'd been with us for three or four years. So they'd played in other countries. We played in like seven countries. They played, you know, in big stadiums with crowds. These lads who'd come in now more recently were better footballers, played at a higher level, but never played anything like this. The gratitude they showed for that, not throwing anyone else under the bus, but there was boys in that team that had got used to it very quickly. And I was like, lads, this is, look at what these boys, are, how grateful they are. This is what we get to do is we're very lucky and you have to always remember that. What's the nerves like for them players? Because um, it's, it's a new experience. Yeah, and you know what the thing is as well is like, the opponents are usually very well matched as well. So it's not like if you're in the FA Cup and you're going against United at Old Trafford and you think there's a chance you might get battered. You know, that we've almost never been in that situation. I'm sure one day we will. But um, we always had good games there as well, which I think made it all the more... Like when we played at Wembley, that the, the first, second Wembley Cup, and I had literally my mates from Union School playing with me there because hashtag played in the game at the Wembley Cup. 34,000 people there. And I've got like mates of mine, like Ryan Adams, who's still got our most appearances ever like scored a really good goal at Wembley. We won the game in front and he had 30,000 people cheering. Like it's one thing getting to play there and then you <laughs> add the crowd and then you add you win the game and then you add you score a goal in it. Like, I never got to score in one of those games, but we did have a penalty in one game and I was the captain and I chose to let my brother take it because one, he's a better penalty taker and I wanted to win first and foremost. But two, I was like, I can always be the guy that gave my brother the penalty rather than <laughs> rather than taking he, it and maybe missing it. <laughs> he owes you some good Christmas presents for the rest well, of his Well, to life. be fair, he's looked after me, so I can't complain. But he, like that moment, he scores the Wembley Cup penalty. He does a little golf celebration with me in the corner. Like that's probably, if you ask me one second, like minuscule moment of everything, it's probably that exact moment. Because all, all, the, all the like, you know, accolades or whatever you want to call them is great youtube subscribers is great but literally taking the two boys that played in the garden together and pretended to be playing at wembley to actually do it and score and celebrate together with a crowd you literally cannot make that up like it's not Incredible, it's yeah. not something you can do unless you're an elite footballer and we aren't and we managed to do it anyway that's amazing obviously you're talking about your brother then obviously seb on golf uh how did his switch go to golf and obviously you football like that focus of Obviously, he's smashing it as well. But you've got obviously got a good relationship. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a pretty typical brother relationship, I'd say. Like, we didn't get on a lot as kids. We used to fight a lot. And then I think because he'd done so much football at a young age and I hadn't, I sort of overtook him in football passion quite quickly. He still loves his football, but then he took up golf and that became his new thing because he was like, like 10, 15 years into being in academies and all this sort of thing. And I, and And he was probably a little bit, he had bad knee injuries as a kid as well. And I think he just sort of was a bit jaded. So he fell in love with golf. And it's funny because I'm getting to the age now where most of my friends are doing that same transition, right? So they, what used to be, all my mates, I, was, I might have not seen someone since school for like 10 years. They're like, mate, I've been following you on YouTube. It's amazing what you're doing. Now they always say, oh, watch your brother's video. Because <laughs> they love golf. And I'm like, oh, okay. But yeah, it, he's a very, very good golfer. Like I've often compared my football journey to his golf journey in the sense of neither of us have been professional, but we've got to do you know, the next best thing. But Seb actually is like borderline professional golf player, whereas I'm never nowhere near a borderline professional footballer. So he kind of deserves to do that stuff a bit more than I do. Um, but he he was he had his own career in his own right. You know, he's a very successful businessman. He had a couple of different businesses. He'd just been my sort of confidant when I needed advice in the early YouTube days and someone I trusted, obviously. And then I got to a point around that first Wembley Cup where stuff was getting really busy. I needed help. And I, I just trusted him so much more than... Uh, a, a traditional like agent I never had one before so I just sort of said do you want to come and work on that 
which he did, and that's been going for eight years, but he's obviously got his own company in there with his own right. People like he works with like Thogden and Theo Baker, who you've had here. So he's got it's not just hashtag or, or myself that he works with and he's doing really well. So I mean that's a very that's a common thread throughout anyone I've ever uh worked with or like employed is I've usually always gone with people that can I swear on here or not? Okay. So I'd, I'd rather have someone that gives a shit and doesn't know what they need to do yet and they can learn that on the job than people who talk a good game but don't actually care. And so I've employed a lot of people with no experience over the years who've just learned that bit, but I know they care because they played for the club, for example. So I know they actually want us to do well. And that, and then my brother was very experienced in a career, but he'd never worked in this industry, but it didn't take him five minutes to figure it all out. That's incredible. Right, I'm going to test your knowledge about goalkeeping. Okay, anyway. we'll see. <laughs> Go on then. Right, I've got a quiz called Goalie or No Goalie that we're currently running. Uh, I've got 10 names written down. Five are actual international goalkeepers. Right. Uh, five are just made up names or... <laughs> Celebrities that you might have heard of. Uh, okay. It is set up to try and trick you as yeah, much as possible. Fine. Right. So it's one point for each correct what about answer. Our current leaders. First uh, and second. Yeah. Seven, seven points is the it. top at the moment. Yeah. And that is uh, Josh Griffiths. Uh, and then we've got, oh, I can't think of who's second. Lonergan. Lon is in six. Yeah. With six. Right. So okay. they are meant to trick you, but some of them you will have heard of. Yeah. Some of them are trick names. All right. Right. So we'll crack on. Right. Number one, Vasilias Barkas. You just sound like football manager regens, don't they? Like someone's come for the <laughs> This UK. is the whole point Watch of it. Vasilias <laughs> Barkas. Um, I'm going to go real goalkeeper. He is a real goalie. He's yeah. former Celtic goalkeeper, plays for Greece and Utrecht. Of course, of course. Yeah, so some of them you will have heard of. Yeah, it's, that was not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> right, number two, Tyrone Lindo. That's fake. You've made that name up. It's not a fake oh, name. Okay, but, but he's not a goalkeeper. He's not a goalkeeper. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> Big nasty. Oh, is that his real name? Big I've, I've worked with him a number of times. I had no idea that was his name, though. Yeah. Tyrone I thought you made that name up. He'd probably be a good keeper as well. Yeah, cool. <laughs> that's, that's a typical, uh, typical goalie stereotype going on right there. <laughs> I'm fully against it. <laughs> right, number three. Paul Hawkins. Goalkeeper. He is not a goalkeeper. Ah. He invented Hawkeye that's used for goal oh, line technology. I rate that. But was he a goalkeeper in his youth? No, he's never been an international goalkeeper. Fair. Fact check me on that. Okay. I've got to have been an international goalkeeper specifically. International okay, goalkeeper, yeah. Just to make it a bit more specific. Yeah, it's yeah, too yeah. hard if I'd have just chucked in goalkeepers from any level. Yeah, every country. Right, number four, Marvin Phillips. Now that name rings a bell, but... I feel like it was like Marlon Phillips. Is that someone? Is that a goalkeeper? Marlon, Marvin. I'm not sure, mate. Marvin Phillips. I'm not allowed to allude to any clues or anything. Marvin Phillips. I'm going to say no. He is a goalie. <laughs> Trinidad goalkeeper. Damn. Trinidad and Tobago goalie. Right. Two out of four so far. You're yeah, going I'm, all right. I'm dropping. I'm dropping. No, you're going all right. It started well. Right. Number five, Sergio Costa. It sounds just like a Portuguese goalkeeper from at some point, doesn't it? There's got to be a chance. Sergio cur Costa. current goalkeepers, by the, the way. current goalkeepers, okay. Current international goalkeepers. Fine. Well, I don't think he's a current Portuguese goalkeeper. There is a Costa in there right now, isn't there? Who, who was the lad that started for them in the World Cup? Is that Costa? Yeah. Yeah, but it's not Sergio, is it? It's not Sergio, is it? Is it? I don't think it is. I'll, have a I'll be having a stinker if he is him, but I've sort of alluded to a half know it, so I'm going to say it's not his name. He's not a real goalie. Yes, come on. He's actually the inventor of Costa Coffee. Oh, there you go. Lots of inventors in there. <laughs> yeah. So, honestly, I am out to try and trick you. Yeah. You're doing well. Three out of five. It's a good start. Right. Number six, Alvaro Montero. 
Alvaro Monteros. You've got Alvaro Morata, who's obviously not a goalkeeper. Have you... But you haven't made up any of these names. No, so they're all real people. They're all real people. That, obviously, mm. you might have heard of some of them. You yeah, might not I have heard, of, heard of, any of any. Not a single one so far. Alvaro Montero, I'm going to say... He's a keeper. He is a goalkeeper. Colombia goalkeeper, Millionaires. Pure guesswork. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's, it's working for you. Sounds like it should be a goalie. Yeah. Right, number seven. Jaiki Han. Jaiki Han. Goalkeeper. He is a goalie. On fire here. I know it. China and Gangzhou. He's got good goal kicks. He's the one that he actually does launch it a mile. I knew that. <laughs> he actually does. That's what I Have right. you seen the uh, Iranian goalkeeper with the long throw? You know, the guy who got injured yes, against England. Yes. That throw is a joke. It's a joke. You've seen uh, David Espina. Obviously, he's playing for Ronaldo's team at yeah. the moment. He just set up a goal at the weekend and he's kicked it from his six yard box onto their 18 yard box. Giza just takes the touch and scores. You know, it's a simple He could do that form. to Ronaldo every week, couldn't yeah, he? Yeah, exactly. <sighs> Especially with his leap, he'll win everything. Yeah. Right. Number eight, Thomas Mapafa. Uh, not a keeper. He is not a keeper. I've got here, your mission if you choose to accept it. It goes by the name of Tom Cruise's real name. Is it? Thomas Cruise Mapafa. Wow. Fair play. You're on five. What's this? You're on five now then? Five out of eight? Is that correct? Yep. Number nine, Mark Poss. Hmm. You've got Mark Poom. Mark Poss. No. He is not a goalkeeper. Creative Dutch Fine. TV program, De Veradas, which we know as The Traitors. I watched my, that. My favourite program at I the moment. That. Don't no spoilers, please. Okay, no, I won't. Have you ever heard of the game Among Us? So no, we play Wolf. Right. There's a game, a card game that you play called Wolf, and it's just like Same. Among Us and Traitors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, we actually on away trips now take a pack of these cards called Wolf, and twenty of us will sit in our room after dinner and we play Wolf for hours till the staff come in and say, "Look, you've got to get out." It's so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How far in are you on that? Uh, I'm seven episodes. How, in. how how funny is like how emotional they get? Like they literally go from like this to crying their eyes yeah. out in like ten seconds. I mean, I'm sure it's very pressured environment. See, but... when you sat around a table and you're trying to tell people you're innocent, the more that you portray yourself as innocent, you're like, yeah, you're giving something yeah, away. Yeah, you there. can't win though, can you? Because if you, you don't, win. they go, you haven't even tried to explain it, and you're like, oh, come on. Yeah. Right. Number ten, Oliver Sale. Goalkeeper. He is a goalie. New Zealand and Wellington goalie. I've got like five or six in a row there, but Yeah, I think you have. I think you might be on eight there. I think I might be the new new record holder you of this whole game. I didn't Lindo. know a single one. <laughs> and you didn't get Paul Hawkins. Uh, you didn't get Marvin Phillips. Seven out of ten. I'll take it. I'll take joint, it. I'm joint a, top there, I'm very, happy with very that. good. There's absolutely no skill involved in that whatsoever. I nah. guessed every single time. I've had I've had other goalkeepers on that have had absolutely no clue as yeah. well. It's luck of the draw, really. That's tough. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Right, before we talk uh, a bit more, right, have you ever played in goal yourself? A couple times, like not deliberately. It'll be when I'm like filling in for someone or whatever, but I'll be the guy. If... if uh... We're missing a keeper at a game. I'll be the guy to volunteer usually. But I'm not particularly good. There was a little brief period. I think every kid, when you play football as a kid, you have a little spell in the garden. You're like, I could be a world-class goalkeeper. <laughs> Making that camera safe, there's no better feeling, like is there? a 10-minute period where I'm like, I think I should put all my energy into being a goalkeeper. <laughs> and then someone will do a shot, you just let it in. You're like, no, nah, it's not me. Um, but yeah, no, that probably like 11 aside, I probably played like three times in goal, yeah. you know. Um, I don't think I've ever kept a clean sheet. I think I did once, actually, when I came in halfway through a game. It's tough, though, mate. It's a different sport, though, isn't it? It's what they always say. It's a different sport. Like, it's a completely different skill set you have to have. Um, I don't envy goalkeepers, but they're so important, yeah. like, obviously. Well, like, I always call us an individual in a, in a team sport. Yeah. Like We are so different. We actually play in a different sport, really, because yeah. we're the only ones using our hands. But, yeah, it, it's such a different mindset as well. Like We all like our own headspace. We're... We're like we like to work on our own for ninety minutes of a game. Yeah. Like although we're involved in a game, we're like just concentrating on your own job. But you, and you can't hide as a goalkeeper. Like there's a lot of positions on the pitch. Like you can make an error in the lead. Uh, an outfield player can make an error in the lead up to a goal, and then he could sort of have a coping mechanism where he'll blame the fullback after that for doing something, or him for doing something wrong. And and there's a load of people that can almost share the blame. But a keeper, you just can't hide. And, and sometimes it's an error that's you know a genuine error. Sometimes it's not really one you can avoid, but the criticism still comes to yeah. you. So you have to such thick skin. Even down to taking a goal kick. If I kick a goal kick out of play, everyone like they jeer you. Yeah. Like, see if an outfielder passes one out of play looking for another player. Nothing said. It's no, just no. like oh, it's just oh, that's unlucky. And you got the fans right behind you as well. Like when it's the Oppo fans, that's just like you know. That's part of the fun bit, you know. Have you, have you ever played non-league or not? Uh, no, well, obviously now I'm playing for Wrexham in yeah, the yeah, National yeah. League. Yeah, I don't count that as non-league really because everyone's professional in yep. that league, aren't they? Um, but the reason I ask is because I think non-league is harsh because you can hear the individual like words they're <laughs> saying to you. Like, you know, someone could be really mean, whereas the rest of it can just get lost in the crowd noise. 100%. You can yeah. hear like someone... It's, it's funny. Sometimes it's funny if, if the, the banter is just sort of like silly, but when it's like actually like scarily accurate or actually quite something that you might criticise yourself about and they say it, I, I just think that'd be so hard to not I, react. I think that would live in my brain rent free. If someone yeah. knew something personally about me, about my own life, I'd be like, oh my God, what? what who's that? I know. How you, do can, they know you, can, you can do it. You can stand. I'm not encouraging it, but you can stand <laughs> behind an opposition goalkeeper and just talk to him the whole game. And the distance could literally be the distance to me and you right now, like because these aren't, you know, big stadiums necessarily. You've got a goal, a little, you know, barrier and a man here just saying horrible things for 90 minutes that you hear every minute of every every sentence of and yeah i think non-league goalkeeping is super hard oh, it must be I, yeah. i've heard some horrific stories about like fans throwing piss on them yeah that happened recently yeah, that happened it recently. Did, yeah. it was a few weeks ago wasn't it yeah, yeah. like stuff like that it's just horrendous well, no, it was it was a guy didn't he piss in his water bottle that, that was, was it happened. yeah so a fan jumped bottle. on the pitch nicked the water bottle took it back pissed in it yeah. and then the goalie and, obviously drank it and then Started a, an argument with a fan and got banned. The goalie yeah, got banned for you it. You got sent off. It's an absolute yeah. joke. But where it's just uh, there's so many things like little idiosyncrasies in non-league that you can't plan for, and when they happen, you, I guess the referee has to send him off because he's started on a fan ultimately. But it's like if you had the context of what has just happened, you should be allowed to. You and uh, 
you and Stephen Trias must have been uh, approaching that line when you were doing the old commentary. That, that was brilliant. Fun. I mean, he, he's very, very funny, Stephen. Like some of that he'd written in advance, but a lot of it he was coming up with on, on the spot. And uh, people thought that I wasn't finding it funny, but it's not, you know, I've used those lip mics a lot because I commentate the hashtag game. So I know when I'm not talking to pull it away. I was cracking up. You just couldn't hear me because I'm pulling the lip mic away because I'm a professional. <laughs> but if I'd had that there, it, would be, it wouldn't have been good to listen to me just laughing the whole time. But yeah, it was, it was very funny. And that game in general was bonkers. Mm, Absolutely was bonkers. bonkers. What was it? Over a million pound raised. Um, I can't remember. What did we have like, watching live at one point? It was something crazy numbers we had watching live. Uh, yeah, those, everything they touch turns to gold. You know, I was lucky enough to, to get to work with the side men um, with the Wembley Cups and stuff. An early, early... Uh, point in both our sort of trajectories but what they've done since is amazing I and mean, they've got their vodka they've got their sides food business they've got so many different things now obviously jj's got his prime drink as well like yeah that even in the amazing. boxing world and boxing 2.6 yeah. yeah. million this by the way 2.6 live live like there have been world cup games that didn't yeah. get that it's, it's, it's madness madness but yeah it's and that like those games are so having played in those games as well those games are so fun to play in because um, is it just full of banter? Is well, it, it is. Either? That's the genius of it. And that's actually something that we struggled with towards the end of the Wembley Cup because the Wembley Cup was a little bit more competitive and it got better and better as we went on So to the point where Scott Pollock, who played for us, who ended up going to play for Northampton um, and playing pro, he, he was 16 when he played in the Wembley Cup and he got man of the match. He got three assists against the team that had Steven Gerrard on it. They were going head-to-head in the middle. So we were bringing players to that game no one had necessarily heard of that could mix it with a one-year retired Steven Gerrard, right? Which you'd never put those Steven Gerrard in the sideman game because it would ruin the vibe because well, you've got people like Chunks like scoring worldies. And Chunks is actually way better than people think he is, by the way, having played with him quite a few times. But like that's the brilliance of their game and that's the bit they've got right and kept right and we went a bit more competitive with it. Um, but, it but yeah, the reason they're fun to play in is if you've got anything about you as a footballer, like it's quite fun because yeah, yeah, you yeah. can do quite well. You can actually take the mickey a little bit. Obviously, Chunks has got good feet and yeah. he's always just trying to do skills and hit bangers, isn't he? Yeah, well, that goal Philly scored in that game was outrageous. I mean, like Simon Miniminta is, he's got like, I don't know what you call it. You might have a word for it, but that 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 thing, that sort of X factor or whatever, because you, you can you can take a look at the opposition, the goalkeepers, whatever, but on on more than one occasion now, in like last second of a game and he, he scored like a 40-yarder goal, which any footballer could mess up. Do you know what I mean? He's got that thing in his head, which pressure... My brother's got it as well with golf. Like he won something called the Trilby Tour, which is the biggest amateur golf competitions on Sky. He's the first person to ever win it twice. And he had to sink like a 40-yard putt to win it. And he, and, and he just did. And I, and I said, I was filming it at the time because we had a YouTube video. I said, he's going he's gonna to put this in. Because I've grown up with this guy. And when it has to be done, he does it that every time. That focus in that final moment. Exactly why I put him on the penalty as well at Wembley Cup. So that he won't miss. I know, I know that's in. And Mini, Simon's got that as well, that gift. He's a very good player, Simon, as well. Yeah. And you've got the Toby and his brothers as well, you know, training with Crawley Town. Yeah. Like, there's, there's players there. There's real players there. It shows that crossover, though, now that obviously, like, training with Crawley Town and that, that football clubs are actually trying to welcome it into their their environment and to, to bring on that sort of sponsorship and crack into those realms. Obviously I'm at Wrexham. We're sponsored by TikTok. Uh, we've got two of the biggest owners, most famous owners in the world at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of similarities between, uh, I've heard you say it before, between Wrexham, uh, us being one of the oldest football clubs in the world, uh, in England, uh, the third oldest, I think we're the oldest Welsh club. Yeah. And you've uh, got and the, the, third, the oldest international, oldest international ground, stadium, yeah. but you're obviously the newest, but, 
you're trying to get into the that sort of heritage and we're going into your world almost. Yeah, and it's that's what's amazing about it. And then you've got Crawley as well, who have used taglines like the Internet's local club, which is a tagline that we've used previously in the past as well. So there's a number of teams trying to do the same thing, but in a different way, you know. And uh, I'm a massive... It's always sunny in Philadelphia fan, by the way. So I was really happy to see uh, Rob get involved in the football team. I've listened to all their podcasts. I've watched every episode about five times. I love that show. So I'm a big Rob McElhenney fan uh, and Ryan Reynolds as well. So, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's the opposite way of doing it in terms of, I always say we've reverse engineered a club. So we've created like the, the, the most difficult bit of the club, which is like a sort of worldwide fan base and sponsorships and all that. But we haven't done the bit you have to do as well, which is the local community because you're never going to have a big home attendance without that. You're never going to be sustainable in football terms uh, without that local fan base, whereas we're sustainable at the moment, but it's through YouTube terms. You know what I mean? It's a different model. Obviously, Wrexham have that, and I think what's great about what's happening at Wrexham is it's brought that community really back it out. Really and has, the yeah. ones that maybe weren't supporting them as much, but they used to, have come back, and it's just, it's just perfect because it's what Wrexham deserves as a place. And I think watching the documentary, I, what I pick up on it is just how clued up even with Rob and Ryan probably not being you know, definitely not being sort of soccer experts football experts coming into it they've got the right people around them because they have done everything right in the way they've approached the community and the way they've improved the ground and then all the things that you know you can't I always say to people that are trying to do things a bit differently because there's a lot of people in the space doing it I say the non-negotiable bit is you can't make the team worse like if you come in doesn't matter how good your ideas are if they were fitting 10th in the league and now you've got them in a relegation battle no one's going to take what you're doing seriously because you've made them worse. If you are the same, but you're doing things in a better way, you're engaging the community, then they'll like it. More importantly, though, it's a results business. If you're winning and the club are progressing, people will listen to your ideas and you have to be doing well on the pitch. What, what they're brilliant at is uh, the relationships they've got with the fans, but even the players, like they will text you after every game. Like they're so vested in it. Yeah, that's great. Like, and obviously as players, you're like, oh my God, like it's still a privilege now to get a text message off either of them. And you're yeah, like, yeah. wow. So, so like, that feeling that you get from that, you're like, oh, I want to do well for them. I yeah. want to do better for them. And they're doing that to the whole town, the whole club. It's obviously, it's just being changed to a city now. Yeah. So like they're trying to change that whole environment that surrounds that football club. No, it's amazing. And I, and I, I guarantee you that like in their eyes, you guys will be celebrities. You are celebrities. You know what I mean? Like, you know, the way you look at them, they all look the same as you. Like, cause I, I, I even at the level we're at, like these guys, the players that play for us, I'm, I'm just a fan ultimately of my club. So, I worship them if they go and score a great goal on the weekend. Whilst also being the person that sometimes has to make a decision to let players go, you can still think they're unbelievable. And I, and I always say we're a much smaller club than Wrexham, so we're like a, a family club still. We are, you know, my mum and dad are literally involved in the club. My brothers are involved in the club. But I, as a non-league club, I think as well, you can be a family vibe. So anyone that plays for us, even if it's just a couple of games, I consider them part of that. I think that's I think that's the same vibe that Ryan and Rob are giving yeah, off yeah. as well. Well, even like obviously at the weekend we just played Coventry uh, in the FA Cup and we beat them, but it was the most trending thing in North America. Yeah, yeah, so I like, see that. Like, how can that be possible that a yeah. national league national league club playing in the UK is trending in North America? And, and how can anyone ever have an issue with that as well? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? How can it not be seen as a unilaterally good thing? Yeah, do you know what I mean? Which it is clearly, but as anyone will find, you can do everything perfect. You can do everything literally the perfect way. Take every step to not piss any local fans off or anything. There'll still be people that don't like you. And that was a big turning point for me in running hashtag when I realised I'm not doing a bad job if people don't like us. You know what I mean? At first I thought, I ever, why are people not liking us? What have I done wrong? And I'd like almost 
lose sleep over it because I think I know we haven't done anything wrong, but yet people are not happy with us. Or what? And you feel really almost like imposter syndrome because that is how they want to make you feel if you're doing things differently. They want to make you feel like you don't deserve a seat at the table because it's not the way it's been done. I'm like, I know how most of these non-league clubs work. Trust me. They're just being propped up by a guy with some money. And the minute he leaves, that club's going to drop down the divisions. That's not something we should be celebrating. That's something we should be looking for alternatives to, you know. So that's why I know that we're, we're more than worthy of a seat at the table. We're not trying to change how everyone does it. We're just trying to say this is a way you can do it. And, yeah, no one in the history of the world of running football clubs has ever made everyone support them. <laughs> it can't be done. You know, you're always going to be a minority of football fans support your club. You just need to find your people, be it from a part of the world or be it of a certain mentality, which is kind of what we look for. And um, that was a big turning point for me when I realised actually it's better for people not to like us than not have an opinion about us because it means that we're doing something right. Yeah. Obviously, you've got a massive fan base around the world now. It, it must be so hard to pinpoint the location of the football club now because yeah. that will be that ultimately you need to set up a base and have your own stadium eventually. But because your fan base is worldwide, how do you go about finding the right area to, to settle? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we still will bring more fans to away games. And when I say that, like, we don't travel across the country right now, but let's say we go to Suffolk or Norfolk for a game because we're only going there once or twice a season. There'll, there'll generally be hundreds of people that will come to support Hashtag to that game. We could even have more fans than the home team, but they won't come to the home games because they live in Suffolk or Norfolk. We could play a game in Manchester and have the same amount of fans. We could play a game in probably Florida and have the same amount of fans. So it's great, but it also means you need to have that local bit, don't you? So we are starting to do it. I mean, we, when we moved the grounds, ground share obviously but when we got ground shares closer to where we're from in Essex that started that ball rolling and men and women play at different grounds still which is not something we want but it's because our who our men share with have a women's team we can't get in there so they're, they're down the road um, our training facility is in between the two sites you know ultimately the ground is going to do this when we get a ground that will be the bit where people realise we're a place in the world but we are for all intents and purposes, based in a quite small catchment area of Essex now. Like if you do a line between where our men, women and our training bases, and we've got an office as well, those things are only sort of a, a 10 minute drive from each other, but we need to get it in one place. But even then, unless we change our name, people will still look at us as nomads that yeah. haven't got a, a place. Also the level of competition from other football teams in your area, you're fighting off to try and take their fans ultimately. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd say probably, I don't know of too many fans, and if you're talking about, if you're talking about uh, people that come to games, I don't know of too many that have left other clubs to support us. I think mostly we've encouraged new people out, to yeah. come, which is again a great thing, a very young audience as well. Like, you know, we've got guys who who um, who yeah, weren't supporting non-league football, had only, only had a Premier League team, for example, who are now like every game home and away hashtag which is i'm very proud of you know and a lot of clubs do get it so we can play this whole like why is me thing that no one likes us. it's not true like a lot of clubs actually really like us a lot of clubs really appreciate uh the fans that we bring through their home gates yep. and the fact that we're just putting a light on on um on non-league in general and like it's one of them where i commentate the games as well right so i'm not pretending to be un unbiased it's literally like can you imagine a chairman yeah, of a football yeah. club be sitting there being happy when another team score like it'd be madness so i'm commentating i think Fairly, in the sense of if you played against us and we're unbelievable, I'm sitting there saying how good you are at football. I never shy away from yeah. that. But I'm buzzing when we score against you. You still right? want to win, yeah, of course. And so if you're on the other side of that, I can see how it annoys people. Let's say we, we're winning a lot at the moment. So let's say we beat a team 4-0. Four, four we're going to be saying a lot of good things about our team, probably less good things about your team. And then that goes out to hundreds of thousands of people. And those same people won't watch you the next week when you go and win your game. Yep. 
So I understand the, the annoyance of that, but I also flip it on its head and say, you come to our place and beat us 4-0, or I'm going to tell everyone how good you are. Like, but, but that's also a natural thing that on match of the day, the most boring games are last. It, yeah. It's just that's the way that the entertainment business works, that you're going to be hyped up. I know you will have some bias, but you're going to be more hyped up for the better results and the bigger wins, the better goals. And that just comes with that territory. Yeah, and people love beating us because they know we can't not put it on YouTube. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We never not put a game on. So we, we've got that similar situation that we're kind of the cup final team. Yeah. Everybody wants to play against us because of the publicity around the club. And that's something the club and us, us as players have to deal with and yeah. take into every game that we can't let off. We, we have to just be relentless in what we do. 100%. We've, we've had the exact same thing, you know, especially at non-league, like the first division we had, there's a million reasons why a player might miss a game. You know, you might be on holiday. Stuff that you wouldn't get away with at a professional level. You might have gone on holiday. You might just not fancy it. You might have got stuck at work. You might have an injury, whatever. No one would ever miss a game against Hashtag. Every team would have every single player available. And you go and watch them play against other teams. And you think, oh, these aren't that special. And they'll turn up against you. You'd be like, who the hell are these guys? They look so much better than they did last week. Exactly what you're saying. Like, and that's just something, for, my, for us, that's only going to go away with time. We haven't even spent more than one season in a division yet. That's you know what I mean? Because yeah. we've always been promoted. So once we've sent, this is our second season at level we're in now. So once this season's finished, hopefully we go up. If we don't go up, we'll be in our third season at this level. We won't be this unique new thing anymore. So people will stop. I think they'll drop their guard a little bit yeah, against definitely. us. They'll stop thinking that it's a, just got to raise it for you. Yeah. That you're adjusting to the level and so like so forth. Yeah, we'll have a three, four or five games against them in our history that they would have known. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. When it's the first time we play against hashtag, it, it means so. Everyone always hashtags it if they score against us and all this stuff. Do they do that like, celebration? Oh, yeah, yeah almost every time pretty much. <laughs> like, it's funny, it's funny. Right, but, can we talk about football kits? Normally we do a glove review uh, where we get the guests to come on and talk about the gloves they wear and stuff. Obviously, being so involved at hashtag and that, you, you've invented your own kits. <laughs> This is Matt Smith, and this is the Glove Review on the Yours Mine Away podcast. Obviously, we can see the goalkeeper kit behind you. Do you, how hands-on are you with all that? Very, very hands-on. Me and my brother love it. Like it's, it's just such a fun bit of running a football club. Like genuinely, and it, it const. I'm not saying like I, I do think the, the kit I bought today is probably the most like controversial shirt I've ever made. Right, oh, it's it, one of the best kits I've ever seen. It was one of our first. Well, it was our first. Uh, Actually, our first and only bespoke goalkeeper kit. Every other goalkeeper kit we've had, we've had deals with Umbro, uh, Adidas and Hummel. And every other goalkeeper kit we've had has always been like an off-the-shelf thing, which is probably something you find a lot, right? Yeah. And that's a top-tier thing as well. Like the Germany Adidas goalkeeper shirt would be the same as like the Man United goalkeeper shirt. Like it's very common for whatever reason. Uh, I guess they don't sell as much, right? Well, so, most brands, they'll have two different styles of goalkeeper kits. Yeah. And then they'll do it in six different colours in yeah. both. So they'll have 12 kits and whoever's wearing Adidas that year will get any two of the six. Yeah, right? and, they, and they won't be bespoke. No, yeah, no. It, yeah. And this, this is the only one we've ever done bespoke. And one of the reasons we, we did that as well is that we actually used it as an outfield shirt as well. So it was our third shirt uh, and it was our goalkeeper shirt. And we very much based this one on the Jorge Campus uh, famous goalkeeper shirt, one of the most like iconic goalkeeper shirts ever. Very garish. And there's the two schools of thoughts with goalkeeper shirts, is there? Do you, do you want to be very bright and big so that you put off the attacking player? Or do you want to... Like some people have had like grey goalkeeper shirts, yep. so you almost can't see the shirt. Blend I, the I prefer the big version personally. I don't know what your stance is. Yeah, because this will divide opinion. The shirt, I think. I mean, when we when we announced the shirt, our outfield players loved it. 
because they didn't think they had to wear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then all the, the goalkeepers were sort of 50-50 on it. And then when we started wearing it as a third shirt, people stopped liking it as much. Oh, did they? I love it. Obviously, I grew up watching Jorge But, but it looks like a keeper shirt, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, you yeah. It doesn't look the same but when you wear it out pitch. Like what, what we're saying about uh, some goalkeeper kits are really bright and garish. They're normally highlighted colours, luminous colours. And that's so that the goalkeeper appears bigger in his goal and it's all the striker can look at. But there is that flip side to that, that... That's what, when a striker looks up, he knows where you are yeah. and he can then see the gaps past you. So there's a total, it's so... What do you prefer? Which mentality? I, I, I still traditionally like the, the emerald green goalkeeper kit. So I'm old school. I grew up watching like that sort of a goalkeeper kit. I think it was probably because I grew up loving Van der Sar. He always mm. had a green kit and a black kit. Like that was kind of what he wore. So I was like, whatever he wanted. And the green blends in with the grass a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that's a like... little bit. And then the black obviously does blend in with the fans mm. without like the strikers knowing it, but they they won't see a goalkeeper coming out. So whether you're further away, their depth perception's just not there if you've got a darker kit on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But traditionally, I grew up, this was my first ever goalkeeper kit. That was it? Campos. That's one of the reasons that I became a goalie at eight years old is that I was playing outfield, saw this goalkeeper kit. Our goalkeeper left the uh, Sunday league team at the time. And I went, well, if I go in goal, I want that kit. And so I had the green version. Like they yeah. did this in free. They did a pink top, a green top and a yellow top. So I had the flip color of it where it was all green. I had the full kit, the white umbro socks that match. Oh, I loved it. And I felt like I couldn't be beaten in it. There you go. That's that. And that's why kit design is so important because it's literally inspiring kids to, to play football. And for us, yeah, this shirt was... It's our first ever bespoke shirts across the board, first ever on YouTube as well. And we announced all in one big go and we wanted the goalkeeper shirt particularly to really like stand out. Uh, we also did something that we've always done with our kits as well, which, which is we changed the color of the badge uh, depending on the shirt. Um, yeah, that's not traditional. That, that's... No, like, but those rules, and I've, again, like, I've got nothing against traditional ways of doing things. But for me, it was like, I've been told all these rules of kit design. I was like, but why is this a rule? Like, why can't I, my away shirt be a different color every year? What should we do? We never yeah. have the same away shirt colour. It's like, but, oh, but we're traditionally, you know, for example, Arsenal will have traditionally a yellow away shirt. Yeah, yeah but this, especially if you're talking about selling them and you're starting to see it a bit more now. It's like, a good shout, Give them yeah. a different, because you're asking people, I grew up in the world where you had a shirt for two seasons. You know, they, they wore it for two years at least. And it was like, better bang for your buck. Now you're asking all these parents to buy a new kit every year. At least give them a reason to change it up. You can't change the home shirt every year. Although we sort of do, to be honest. We actually swap our dominant colour every yeah, year. Yeah, I've seen that. So yeah. we're either yellow and blue or we're blue and yellow. And it completely changes the look of the shirt. So every year our home shirt looks completely different to the one before. And that's along with other bespoke designs that we'll put in the shirt. But yeah, I think there's loads of rules in, in kit design that could be played with. It's way harder for an Arsenal to, to be creative because they've had a hundred shirts. Do you know what yeah. I mean? We're still on our like fourth, fifth shirt or whatever. But uh, I do. I am consistently underwhelmed by like shirts. There's some really great shirts out there, but there's some shirts out there. I just think, who is okay in that? Like, who's the person at the club? But that, that normally, it's, it's nothing to do with the actual footballing department. It's nothing to do with uh, uh, the players. Nothing to do with the manager. It's all done abo above and yeah. Of course, it's like the marketing team, yeah. but. And that's probably the apartment that I'm like at most at home at, I guess. But it's like, I don't understand why they why they tolerate poor designs. We're talking about teams with thousands and tens of thousands of fans. They're going to buy a lot of shirts. Like make them, give them something great. So we take it really seriously. And we, we've worked with designers at Umbro, Adidas, and now Hummel. The same guys that are designing, you know, when it's Adidas, like the Real Madrid shirt and stuff yeah. like that. It's the same people. How far ahead are you designing these shirts for? Obviously, next season, yeah, no, the, you've already done that one. Yeah, the, the lead time's crazy. Yeah. The lead time is like... They're pestering you for confirmed designs for next year's kit in like 
July of the year before. You know, if you miss those deadlines because of the factory things and stuff involved, like you end up, we actually multiple times, not necessarily through throat of our own, but we've multiple, multiple times have had uh, the shirt not ready for preseason. And we've had to wear it the first game of the season instead because the designs, because it's one of them, like, you know, we're, if we're changing a deal, so it's our first year of a new brand, then you've got to be really quick. Yep. But yeah, that's a lovely, lovely part of, of running a football club, I think. And uh, one of the most fun parts of the year. Right, before we wrap up, I want to talk FIFA. Obviously, you got into YouTube uh, through FIFA. I, I, I've made it quite well known that I never played FIFA. I, I, because I did that as my job anyway, I was always like Call of Duty, play tank else. But obviously, you've got a, a massive background in FIFA. You've, wor you've worked with some really high-profile people. Yeah, and we, and that's how we got... So Azpilicueta uh, owns 4% of Hashtag, the, the Chelsea um, uh, captain. And he uh, got involved through FIFA, not through football which people get surprised about, but he's a big into his FIFA. I've always been involved in the esports scene there. And um, he, well, I met him at various events and he wanted to get involved in the UK esports scene and he saw us as a club and he literally said to me, like, you know, can I can I get involved? And I was like, of course you can. <laughs> um, it'd be great to have you. And then obviously the football side was an added benefit, you know, part of it. So, and there's so much crossover there and the way that young fans are now uh, interacting with football, so much of it's through FIFA. I had my little nephews around for New Year and and all they wanted to do was play FIFA. And then all this stuff about like PSG players and all this stuff that we would never have known until computer games. Like I got all my European football knowledge from Football Manager. Yeah, Football Manager. You know, so it's like, there's a real purpose to gaming and stuff like that that again a little bit like the same maybe older generation will be critical of us in non-league the same people that probably wouldn't understand the esports e side of what we do so because you have got your own esports yeah side, we do you? we do and we've, we've been one of the sort of leading uh fifa teams for a long time competing with genuinely competing with man city psg who are in esports as well who have way more money than us obviously and beating them multiple times you've actually you know? sold some of your esports players in the past we've sold one player yeah we, we, we think we're the first to ever Incredible. do that yeah first to ever sell a, a fifa player there's been other esports players that have been moved on um and that was on sky sports news when it happened and stuff like that so that was pretty good get a full ticker take uh ticker tape we got ticker tape but we had an, we definitely got interviewed on there we talked about man. it and it was on a few articles and stuff um yeah there's there's esports is it, a massive growth industry in terms of uh not just FIFA. In, in fact, FIFA's a little bit behind it from where other games are, like the Fortnites of the world and stuff and Call of Duty. Yep. But um, if you just do the, the, the sort of basic maths on it and you look at how many people are playing FIFA and where that could go and what... I just... When we made hashtags 2016, right? So I was like, okay, well, what's a 2016 football club look like? Not one that was made in 1896, right? And the thing we had an advantage there is we can create... So we actually launched ourselves as a football and esports team, not a football team who has some guys that play FIFA. We do football and esports as an equal playing field. Uh, the esports we concentrate on are football related. It's not like we're, we're doing the other games. We're just doing football. But that, for me, is a modern day football club. And that is something that is lost on people as well, I think, is that, you know, Man United were one of the last teams to get on Twitter. There's a reason for that. It's because when you're that big and old and successful, and it's not just a football thing, it's a business thing, it's a, a political thing, whatever you'll be the least, the last likely to change because you, you have so much that can go wrong and so many yeah. risks and so many brands. So they're always the last to innovate. So if you're young, you can innovate overnight. And that's why you see teams like Brentford suddenly become so good because they have innovated the way their transfer market policy works and the way they recruit in Brighton and all these things. And it's just because I read a, I read a lot of books on football data and stuff like that. And it's like, you the least likely to innovate are successful teams because why would you change? Right, the ones yeah. that are always going to be the most innovative are ones that can afford to lose and get it wrong because they're already losing. So it's linking to what I was saying before about teams trying stuff more in social media. Like if, you, if you're top of the league, you don't change anything. No, of course. No one changes anything. 
And it's linked to everything. Like no footballer wants to be associated with a non-football project if their team's losing every week because they'll just get tweets going, why are you doing this? You should be doing that. But if you know, if you do that and then your team improves as a result, you look like a hero. So it all comes back to results. But for me, all we are is, is, a, is a football club that was created in 2016 instead of in the 1800s. If we'd been around in the 1800s, the thing that me and my mates would have had in common would have probably been we worked in the same you know, iron factory like Thames Ironworks and West yep. Ham or whatever, Newton Heath, Man United. You know, not, we're not even called Man United. We weren't called West Ham. Those things happened later. So anyone that gives us stick for our name now, I say like, it might be our name forever. It might not be one day. The decision will always be the best for the club. But all we are is a group of mates that were in the same industry that created a team, exactly like every other team that's ever existed. But because our industry is modern, because we're not from 150 years <laughs> ago, you think it's not traditional and all this like history stuff. But we love history. But it's future history as well. And you can't only have clubs that are from 150 years ago. Yeah. So it's linked into everything we do. The kits, everything. Esports, innovate, see if we can find other ways to do things. Right. We, we're going to do a, uh, I do a penalty competition on YouTube with every guest, right? I'm not expecting to beat you because of your history in FIFA. Uh, obviously, there's going to be a massive switch over in FIFA as well with obviously the rights of the name FIFA. Yeah, that's over. big. That's next year. Yeah. Uh, can you, can you? Obviously, tell a few of the, the listeners what's going to happen in that. Well, yeah. So since day one of, of that game, uh, it's been called FIFA. And that's uh, that's a, a right they pay for, right? That They pay the organisation FIFA to be called FIFA. People get confused about that, though. They think that's what gets them the name rights of players. It's actually nothing to do with that. That's FIFA Pro, which is a different organisation. So they'll continue to have that going forward. It's not like when Pro Evo didn't used to have the rights. And they play Roberto Larcos or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. FIFA won't go down that route. They'll still have the proper names. Um, but they're ending that relationship and we don't know what that's going to mean for FIFA, the brand name when it comes to games. Will they attach themselves to another game? Could Pro Evo be called FIFA, FIFA next yeah. year? Which would be f crazy, right? EA, I think, are going to be called, their, their game's going to be called uh, EAFC, I think it's going to be called. And um, it will be interesting to see what happens there uh, in terms of, especially in esports, the industry I'm involved in because... Um, FIFA, being the governing body of football, have always sort of seen themselves as the governing body of, of eFootball as well. So they've kind of set the tone on what EA can do in oh, terms okay. of, it's very complicated, but there's a lot of different events. And the big one culminates at the end of the year is the FIFA E World Cup. And that, if you win that, you're the world champion of the game FIFA. And so FIFA would say, okay, the winner of that's going to get 200 grand, say, right? So that meant that any other event that happened at any other point in the year couldn't have a prize pot bigger than that because that had to be the big one. EA could come out next year and go, our event winner gets 10 million. No way. They want to. And suddenly FIFA have got a competition on their hands. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens there. It's really similar to what happened with Football Manager back in the day, if you remember. It used to be called Championship Manager. And the two companies that made that game were IADOS and Sports Interactive. And yep. they split up. And one uh, group kept the, the team that made the game and all the sort of expertise. And the other side kept the name. And at the time, everyone reported it. They were like, there's no way anyone's going to buy a game that's not called Championship Manager. That's where all the sort of brand loyalty is. So these new, the, the guys that made the game, they're going to have to call it something else. They've got no chance, right? And for one year, they were right. Everyone went and bought Championship Manager the next year because that's what they're used to buying. But the game had dropped off a cliff because right. they didn't have the same people making yep. it. And the new game was called Football Manager, which is actually a better name if you think about <laughs> it, um, was the game they were used to be playing, but with a different name. So for me, the publishers win the battle, in my opinion. So I think EA will, will continue to be uh, dominant there. But there's other games coming up as well. You know, UFL, who are our shirt sponsors, that will be that will be uh, released soon, I think. Um, there's another game in the making. So it's a very competitive space, but electronic arts have always dominated it. Yeah.
Yeah. All right. Uh, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for today on the Yours Mine Away podcast with me, Mark Howard, and producer Ben. Spencer, you've been an unbelievable guest with some great insight. Uh, I absolutely love listening to the, the background of Hashtag and I can't wait to see how much you can take it and you can develop it. Who knows? Maybe we'll see a Wrexham Hashtag game in the future. You FA never Cup know. next year. I don't know if I'll, I'll still be playing it. But I'm 36 <laughs> now, but you never know. We had Hopefully a 43-year-old goalkeeper, mate, so you've got plenty of years left in you. I might get a game for you one yeah, day. Yeah, get involved, mate. Excellent. <laughs> Well, hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please head over to our YouTube channel and also follow us and subscribe on Spotify or Apple, wherever you get your podcast from. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care. What a save from Mark Howard. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.